Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to Maximizing Outcomes with Jim McGovern. Jim, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic, man. I'm doing great. It is, uh, weather's getting warmer. It's a little nicer outside. It's it's that time of year when I just want to get a little bit of sunshine. I hear you. you I know. hear you. Can't wait for summer. <laughs> yeah. For like the last six months, I've been, you know, been working there. out of my home, which my office is in my basement. I like it a little darker, a little cooler down here. <laughs> but it's like a troll coming out and just seeing the sunlight. So I just no. can't wait to get out and play some golf finally. It's been a long, oh, cold winter here. So yeah, it's be no good kidding. To get out there. That's good. Yeah, start stretching now, right? I mean, that's that's what that's it's all right. about. All right. Well, hey, uh, for those that are just joining us, uh, I want to just kind of recap the last two episodes. This is episode three, but in the first episode, um, you learn about Jim and really about his team and his background. Um, you need to go listen to that one. That's called his inaugural podcast. Really, that's when we just introduce him to who he is to you guys. And episode two was an overview of what the first meeting is like with Jim and the team. And actually, it was really, really more robust than that. I'm not going to give you any more you know, information than that, but you need to listen to that because that really tells you what him and his team specialize in and what they do and, and how much care they take care of um, all their clients and also you know, the prospects that are calling in and, and just wanting to have a conversation. Um, so with that being said, Jim, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to focus on retirement income planning. And in our practice, what we refer to this as is the wealth distribution phase of life. So mm-hmm. in other words, we're going to talk about how do you take the wealth that you accumulated over your career and use it to produce cash flow throughout your retirement lifetime. All right. So since we're talking about you know the retirement income process, who is this conversation really geared toward? So this is really geared towards people that are either in that home stretch to retirement so people you know that maybe have you know, 10 or so years until they're going to retire, or for people mm-hmm. who are already retired. But really, anybody, even if you're younger than that, can listen up anyway, because there's a lot of information that uh, you know, if you're 35 or 40 years old and, and you're trying to you know, raise a family and still plan for retirement, you're making decisions now that you're going to have to live with when you're in your 60s and 70s. Really, there's, there's a lot of things that if you grab from this episode, you're going to be wise beyond your years. Yeah. Well, and the things that... I wish, I mean, I'm still in my 40s, but I wish that I had actually started to listen to people like you, you know, when I was 30 and, uh, and, and just made a better plan, planning for when I'm 40 and when I'm 50 and all that. So no, I, I think this is great for anybody to listen to. Um, and retirement planning isn't brand new, but at the same time, when I think of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's really not that old either, because as I look at it uh, and I think about it as an industry, it's only really been around for 40 to 50 years because before that, there were a lot of companies that offer pensions. They offered, you know, there was, I don't know, maybe more company loyalty to employees, you know, when an employee would stay there for 35, 40 years. Um, can you kind of talk about the some of the history of retirement planning and what's led to what we're doing today and some of the common approaches, you know, most people are not taught? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it really is a pretty young industry. When you think about other industries that are much more established, retirement planning as an industry is only 40 to 50 years old. So, we have to do a little bit of a history lesson here. If you go back to the late 1800s mm-hmm. and the early 1900s, retirement planning wasn't really a thing. Like it didn't exist. And that's because life expectancy was so short. 
Yeah. So I was doing a little bit of research on this ahead of the episode, and I found out just on a quick search that in the late 1800s, life expectancy was roughly age 40. Really? Which is crazy. Eric, you just mentioned you're in your 40s. I am as well. It's, we would be the elders of the community at this point, right? Seriously, it'd be a miracle I'm still alive. Yeah. So it's so. But if you fast forward a little bit, you go to, to 1935, it had jumped from a life expectancy around age 40 to age 60. And mm. 1935 is an, an interesting year because that was the year that Social Security was created. Hmm. So if we fast forward a few more years, end of World War II, 1945, life expectancy was still only age 65. So if you want to understand retirement planning today, we really need to do a short history lesson and think about two specific generations that really had to deal with this concept of retiring, walking away from a job, and then living for quite a while afterwards. Mm -hmm. And the two generations I wanted to talk about today was what's nicknamed the greatest generation. Those are the people that were born between 1901 and 1927, and their children, which was nicknamed the baby boom generation. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is my, my grandparents' generation and my parents' generation. Yep. And I think me about too. my grandfather. Yours as well? Perfect. Yep. So we're all, uh, all in the same age range here. You know, I think back to my grandfather's generation, and uh, my grandfather was a veteran. He fought in World War II. When those folks came home from the war, a happy, successful life for a lot of people looked a lot like getting married, uh, having a lot of kids. Eric, I'm not sure if you're from a big family or not. You have a lot of siblings, or no? Your, I've only got parents, one sibling, I mean. and, and and I've only got uh, I've got two kids. Uh, you know, a couple grandkids now, but yeah, not not a real big family. But my wife's family, a couple other siblings she's got, but uh, she's Hispanic, and traditionally, let's just be honest, they have large families, and, and bigger families. Yeah, and it's awesome. And because when we go down there to visit her family, when we get together as a family, you know, you're talking 30, 40 people, you know, in a room eating together and, and breaking bread, and it's awesome. But uh, mine, yep. it's not so much. Yeah. I mean, like, so a lot of the people in the baby boom generation, I mean, my parents, both sides of the family, uh, lots of uh, aunts and uncles, right? Yeah. I mean, my, yeah. my mom had, there was five kids in her family. My dad had six. And that was pretty common back then. And people had bigger families. But also, homeownership was a big deal. And that was really part of the American dream, yeah. is to own your own home someday. And, and you look at the average size of homes back then, uh, they were a lot smaller then, but there was more people living in the homes. Mm -hmm. uh, one car, that was a major success. You had a vehicle that you owned. Uh, financial security, for a lot of people, that really was, if you had a, a good job at a big company, that, that was a, a very large amount of stability for you. And yeah. you know, you'd save some money and you exchange 30 or 40 years of your life, and uh, you work for a company and you stay loyal to that company. Like you mentioned earlier, they rewarded you with a pension plan, and you had guaranteed income for life. So, yeah. you know, when these people reached retirement age of, of 65, you know, a pension was promising around 70 to 80% of the income that you had your last few years of work, and they would pay that out forever. And if you add on Social Security and some personal savings, you were, you were pretty much set. Mm -hmm. So if you were in this generation, you likely had lifetime income for yourself and your spouse guaranteed by the pension, guaranteed by the Social Security Administration for a lifetime that was expected to only last five to 10 years after retirement. So ironically, even though this generation had a huge amount of guaranteed income, and they, if any generation really didn't have to save or prepare much for retirement, it was this one. But the opposite was true, that even though they had all these safety nets, this generation was known for being frugal. I think a lot of these people grew up in the Great Depression, and Absolutely. they knew what it was like to not have anything. And, and they were great savers. So 
if you're interested, I mean, this is an easy search on online. You can just look up household savings rates in the U.S. In fact, the St. Louis Fed tracks this, puts this out on the um, on the internet all the time. But uh, what the average household is saving in America, and if you look at the rates in the 1960s and 1970s versus what people are saving in the 2000s and the 2010s, it's almost double the savings rate back then that we see in recent decades, which to me is really interesting because you know you didn't hear about too many people failing financially in retirement from these generations. Yeah. Meaning that they ran out of money before they ran out of life. And you know, these people are saving lots of money. They had these great safety nets and uh, they were saving it with a time period where taxes were way higher, uh, interest rates on mortgages were way higher. It's just people really valued saving for the future. And again, almost nobody ran out of money in retirement. Well, and, and again, that's great for that generation. But right now, I think that there there's a very common theme that um, one of the biggest fears that people have right now is running out of retirement, or excuse me, running out of funds in retirement, running out of their money um, mm-hmm. because of you know the age and all that. So let me ask you this. What changes took place that led the baby boomer generation down such a different path than the prior generation? The short answer to this question is pretty much everything changed. And again, this is where history is so important to understand and why retirement planning today has to be so much different. Because if we look back at these pension plans and the larger employers of prior generations, if you dig in, you'll see evidence of how difficult financial planning really is. Mm -hmm. So if you're a company and you're setting up a pension plan, you have to think about things like how long until the workers are going to retire? So how much time do we have to accumulate some funds? How long do we expect these people to live? What kind of income are we trying to provide? How much cash flow do we as the company have that we can set aside and save towards this plan? And what kind of an investment return do we think we can get in this pension plan? So it's, it's basically financial planning done for you know, a large number of people in a company. So it sounds pretty straightforward, right? These companies are essentially doing their own financial planning for all these workers. But there were two significant changes that totally transformed retirement planning. The first one is longer life expectancies. Mm-hmm. If people just are living way longer, that puts huge pressure on the company's pension plan. The second big shift was the invention of the 401k plan. So if we think about the advance- advancements in medicine and better lifestyle choices people are making, life expectancy has increased from age 65 in the 1940s to nearly 80 years old today. And we hear people all the time now. It's, I saw this on Facebook the other day. Somebody had a grandparent that was 103 years old. Mm. So life expectancy getting longer and longer. If your company sponsoring a pension plan and you made a commitment to provide income, for the life of your employee that's part of this pension. And as a group, all these employees live way longer than expected. You need a boatload of additional money to provide an income for all those ex- all those workers for 15 to 20 extra years than you originally expected. So there was already some, some issues with pension plans already. And then the 401k came along. Yeah. Well, I mean, companies... Clearly, they don't like that kind of pressure. They can't take that kind of pressure if they've you know set something up or they've screwed up. I know actuaries do their job, but there's like you said, there has been a very rapid advance. And and in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong here, but you can correct me. But it seems that there's you know for the last few decades, there's been a major decline in any company offering pensions. I I can't think of really one or two that that offer pensions these days. So talk to us a little bit about the shift away from pensions. 
and the, the companies shouldering those responsibilities of providing retirement compared to what's going on now. So pension plans definitely had some unique pressures. And I think uh, companies were aware of this. They knew they needed to start making some adjustments. But in 1978, the 401k was created and a year-end tax bill. Something was getting pushed through. There's this provision in there called 401k. And uh, nobody really knew what it was. But when they started digging into this tax provision, they found out that it was a way for people to reduce their income, their taxable income, by putting some money into a retirement plan. And the company could also contribute to the plan. Mm -hmm. So it was really designed as a supplemental way to save additional funds for retirement pre-tax. And it was really aimed at higher earning executives. But the way the tax law read, you had to get enough of the other workers that weren't highly compensated to participate in the plan. So for companies to get some of the lower paid workers to put money into the plan, a company match was used to encourage participation. Mm -hmm. And this was the beginning of the major shift. Companies discovered that they could control retirement costs better by moving away from the traditional pension plan where they had to guarantee the income forever in favor of the 401k plan. So the responsibility for retirement readiness now largely lays on the shoulders of the employee. So if you add money, the company will add money. If you don't, they won't in many cases. Mm -hmm. And once you retire, you're on your own. That's it. If you run out of money, you can't come back to the company and say, hey, I, I need more cash flow. They're going to say, you don't work here anymore. Yeah. Well, obviously, the shift away from pensions was a major game changer since retirement plan, you know, planning went from someone doing it for you, you know, the company uh, or somebody representing the company uh, to retirement planning is now your own responsibility. And, you know, when we think about the baby boomer generation and then Generation X, and I, I think we're in Generation X, uh, and Y, um, what other changes have taken place that make retirement planning even more challenging for those two groups? So there's a lot of changes that, that took place, and a lot of it's revolving around family dynamics and, and career choices, et cetera. But if you think about how a family looks, it's a lot different now. I don't even think there really is a typical family anymore. I mean, there's now there's a lot of dual-income families. There's uh, single parents. Uh, there's higher divorce rates. Uh, even though families tend to have less children these days than the baby boom generation, the cost of raising a child has skyrocketed. I mean, mm -hmm. childcare costs are just unbelievable. And it's more necessary for families now because you have a lot more either dual career households or you have a single parent household. And if you couple the childcare costs with what it costs to educate a child, I mean, there's another area where oh, yeah. costs are just through the roof. And it's not just college. It's it's private schools in the K through 12 years. It's now a lot of degrees that you need to go to grad school and get an advanced degree. So education costs are high. Average home sizes are way larger, even if there's less people living there. Most families nowadays have multiple cars. And instead of driving the car until the wheels actually fall off and then replacing it, it's pretty common now for people to be on leases or mm -hmm. you know, once their car is paid off, they trade it and buy a new one. Uh, we think about job changes. It's a, it's a lot more common now for people to change jobs. And sometimes that means more income. Sometimes it's a disruption to income. Uh, sometimes people dip into their retirement funds because they unexpectedly lost a job. And I would say the other culprit here is we live in a society where keeping up with the Joneses 
is at an all time high. And if your last name is Jones and you're listening, like congratulations, like everybody's trying to keep up with you. So that's awesome. But uh, you know, if we think about it, it's it's not just like it used to be where you try to keep up with your neighbors. You know, your neighbor gets a new car, you want to get a new car. Now it's the pressure to try to keep up with your entire social media network. Yeah. You know, you see people's photos from vacations and whatever else is going on. It's like, I want that too. Mm-hmm. So if you just combine all of this, the result is most folks have overspent. They have overborrowed. They have undersaved throughout their career. And then by the time retirement age rolls around, a lot of people are looking at their finances and they're scared. They're wondering, am I going to make it or not? And it's not something that impacts an individual or impacts a couple. It's really a family issue. And I'm not sure if you've heard, Eric, of this thing called the uh, the sandwich generation. Does that ring a bell? Uh, yeah, and I've actually coined my own phrase, uh, which I, I'm happy to add to the conversation. I am in the club sandwich generation. because the club, club sandwich, good. So both my parents are alive. I have two children, and I have three grandkids. So that's a club sandwich, and I choose to oh, eat yeah. bacon. I'm in the bacon in the middle. <laughs> bacon in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so people who are like, what, what are they talking about here? Like, what is this? The name comes from people that are trying to raise their kids while they're mm-hmm. also taking care of their parents and sometimes extended family. Yep. And it sets them up for tremendous pressure when they reach retirement age. Because, you know, if, if parents run out of money in retirement, typically their children will step in to try to help. They just, they can't watch mom and dad just like wither away. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not trying to scare anybody and act like there isn't any hope, but we have to understand how fragile financial plans really can be and just understand and be realistic about what we're up against. You know, you spend 30 to 40 years working and earning an income and then retirement rolls around and you might live 30 to 40 years without a paycheck. And, your plan has to stand up to a variety of intense pressures that you really can't predict or calculate. You know, we can't boil all this down into a mathematical equation. If it was that easy to do, then we wouldn't hear about people running out of money in retirement. Yeah. And, and there's been cultural shifts, right? I mean, it, it used to be um, more family-based where, you know, mom and dad may move in with you. And, and uh, mm-hmm. even though you had a smaller house, you may do. And, and it, I, I've watched different cultures approach this differently. And, and in, in the United States, it's not considered normal anymore for families to take their parents in and, and take care of them. And it, it's, to me, it's a shame. But at the same time, you know, we understand it. We want that freedom. We want you know, our parents to be successful and have that freedom. Um, and it, it is tough. And it is something that I think a lot of us think about in, in our age range, specifically, are my parents going to be okay, so on and so forth. And I do want to help them out as much as I can. Luckily, my parents are in a situation where, you know, my dad did great planning, and so they're doing fine. But this is a very serious topic. And and I know that you're not trying to scare anybody, right? I mean, that's not what this is all about. You really want people to understand how serious this is. And retirement income planning is kind of a high-stakes endeavor. It's it's really, really tough, right? It, It is. I mean, the world is a tough place. And you have to have a tough plan. And you have to have a plan that we know is going to work. We can't have a plan that we just hope is going to work because mistakes, even if they're small mistakes sometimes, over time, they can really lead to very catastrophic outcomes. Mm-hmm. All right. So I know there's a, a saying out there money isn't everything. That's true. You know, money doesn't buy happiness. Yeah, that's true. But money's a really big part of how you experience life. It impacts mm-hmm. where you live, it impacts what you eat. Not just where you eat, but the quality of the food that you eat. Yep. Money touches the experience that you enjoy and the memories you create, the health care that you receive. 
But it's not just uh, isolated to one person. It's a family situation. It's emotional. It impacts the family either in a positive way or, or a negative way. And if you have abundance, you're able to do more. You're able to see more, enjoy more. You can provide better for yourself, your kids, your grandkids, charities. But if you run out of money, who's going to take care of you? Is it, is it your kids? Is it your grandkids? That puts pressure on them financially mm-hmm. and emotionally. And it impacts their relationships. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not like retirement planning is a, a best of seven series like the World Series or the Stanley Cup, where if you don't do well in the first game, that's okay. There's another game tomorrow. We, we have a couple more cracks at this. Mm-hmm. You get one shot. That's it. There's no do-overs, but there's no reset button. And uh, that's why we want people to take it seriously because you know you only get you only get one crack at this. Yeah, and you only have so many kidneys you can sell, right? I mean, that's right. That's, that's a problem. That's so, a bad retirement plan, right there. It, yeah, very bad, very bad. That is not advice by any means. And uh, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Anyway, uh, so Jim, you've done a great job of outlining some of the history and the challenges, but I want to shift gears and and can we talk about um, you know steps people can take on how they should be approaching wealth distribution in retirement. And I, I come from a, a background of, I, I've, I've read a lot, I've researched a lot, I've, I've listened to a lot of smart people, but I've heard so many rules of thumb that I hear people referencing you know, with their retirement planning. And in those you know, rules of thumbs, a lot of assumptions are made. So let's talk about that. What are some of the common rules of thumb that you hear and, uh, you know, and the typical retirement approach? Almost anybody who's read anything on retirement planning is going to come across articles or suggestions that say that the way you plan for retirement, and this is just like commonly accepted, like this is the way you do it. You just amass a bunch of money, typically in stocks and bonds, and live off of 4%. The 4% so this has been rule. nicknamed the 4% that. rule. You, yep. you got it. <laughs> but if you think about it, it's, it's a fixed amount of income. It's a constant set withdrawal off of assets that are variable and inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So what this leads to is you need to have the largest amount of money, which in turn, this rule produces the least amount of income, oftentimes causes people to pay the most amount in taxes, take on lots of additional risk, mm-hmm. and you really have very little true liquidity with your money. Like we, we see a pile of money and we think that it's accessible to us, but it's really not because if you start to draw that money down, well, what's producing the income as that money starts to get smaller and smaller, that portfolio starts to shrink. Yeah. So this approach can fail for a variety of reasons, and largely because it doesn't acknowledge the difference between accumulating wealth and distributing it. Mm-hmm. So there are risks to climbing a mountain. Not everybody makes it. And there's risks in our financial life, both while accumulating wealth and distributing it. And it sounds the same in many cases, but money works very differently when you're accumulating it versus when you're distributing it. Mm-hmm. And it all starts with cash flow because this is how we live. We we go to work during our working years and we, we earn cash flow, we live our life, and we take the excess and we use that to build wealth. In retirement years, we don't have a paycheck anymore. Yeah, Our net worth has to take over, and that's responsible for producing the cash flow. So there are economic forces that are always present during both phases, but our money reacts differently and we deal with them differently when we distribute. So I'll give you a few examples. When we are younger, when we think about our own mortality, the fear is dying too soon. You know, what if I don't make it long enough? Do I have the resources there to take care of my family? Well, the opposite is true in retirement. Now the shift becomes, what if I live too long? Mm -hmm. We think about a a decline in our health. 
that could lead to a loss of income during our working years. In retirement, it can cause us to lose a significant amount of our assets because we have to spend those assets down for something we weren't really earmarking it for. You know, if we're consistently adding money to an investment account that experiences volatility, no one likes volatility, but when you're adding money into the market while the market's experiencing negative volatility, that's a lot different than when you're withdrawing money from that same volatile market and you're pulling that fixed stream of income from an asset that's, that's tanking. That can actually magnify the losses. Uh, people love their 401k plans. They love tax-deferred vehicles. It feels great to put money in pre-tax while we're working. But we have a lot of tax pressures when we pull that money out in retirement. Oh, yeah. And inflation, I mean, this is all over the headlines right now. Like every, Almost every conversation I'm having these days, inflation is a big part of it. But when you're working, one of the ways you deal with inflation is employers end up giving pay raises eventually. Or you, you change companies because you just you need to have extra cash flow coming in. So pay raises are pretty common throughout your career. But the default option in retirement, because there isn't a paycheck coming in anymore, is to deal with inflation by spending less, which isn't a good thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's a different set of challenges, and it requires a different set of, of rules than the ones that we use during our working years. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this, Jim. You know, you were talking earlier that people are living longer, right? You're talking in retirement, 35 to 40 years possibly. Mm-hmm. How old were you 40 years ago? I was two years old. <laughs> How much do you remember from when you were two years old? How much do you remember uh, from the much. time you were two to the time you were eight or 10? I mean, you've got a few scattered memories, I'm sure, but you don't remember things, you know, a ton of stuff. Most people don't. And I can imagine being 65 and, and thinking, I'm going to live another 40 years. That mm-hmm. It's mind-boggling to me. So 40 years ago, I was eight. So I'm in that same kind of situation where it, it really is uh, having money that I've accumulated last that long for an additional 40 years, that that does scare me. That does it's make not, me nervous. It's not easy. No. Yeah, it's not easy. No. And, and you know, a lot of people just go, oh, I'll figure this out later. Well, <laughs> yeah. a mentor of mine had a great saying, and uh, he says, the future always calls your bluff, mm. which I thought was profound. I, I like that because it's like we think we have this time and we don't. Yeah. You know, and I was having this conversation with my daughter the other day. She's 12. And I just said, you know, your 30-year-old version of yourself is, is relying on you at 12 to make certain decisions that are good decisions. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we all live with our choices. And, uh, you know, some people just choose to just, I'll just ignore the retirement piece. I'll, I'll get to that later. And they burn a decade or two. Yep. So I think, uh, you know, you need to get the game. You need to, get to focus on the stuff. It doesn't need to be complicated, but you really can't wait. Yeah, if I could go back in time and slap my yeah, slap my twelve year old self because I had a paper route and I made a bunch of money and blew it all of it. (laughs) I I'd go slap around a little bit, put something in savings, buy some Microsoft stuff, something, anything. (laughs) And look, nobody nobody's perfect, right? We all make mistakes. We all have things we wish we'd have done differently. But I think uh, you know we often do a, a good job of making the best choice we can with where we are right now. Well, let's talk about those choices then. Yeah, I mean, so some of the choices. I mean, let's first look at. you know, when I hear people running out of money while they're working, I mean, this is like you see a situation. Um, yeah, I, I think you, you pick on entertainers and athletes, for example. They make a lot of money, and then they suddenly run out, and people go, how could that be? They had so much money coming in. How could it be? Well, it's not because of a lack of income, right? It's just too much lifestyle. And in retirement, you know, it's. I think it's important to recognize that most balance sheets, most levels of assets that somebody has, they aren't depleted in retirement because of underperformance in most cases. It usually happens because of either unnecessary exposure to risk, 
or too much lifestyle. There was an unsustainable amount of money that was being spent based on the resources that were available. So there's really four rules that we can go through today that you know, I think will help steer people down a path that is going to lead to a much higher probability of success. We're not looking for things that just increase the possibility of success. Right? You could speculate and gamble with your money, and it's possible that you could hit it big. It's just not very probable. Right? So there are certain rules that if you just follow them, it, it takes you down a path where you know, you're, you're doing the best that you possibly can with what you have. Mm-hmm. So I'll run through them here fairly quickly, but you know, rule number one in retirement is to manage your retirement risks. You know, having a strategy for the personal risks that you face, like living too long, uh, dying too soon, getting sick along the way. But we also have to think about the broader economic risks. We have to be realistic about volatility and how taxes will change over time and inflation and what it really costs us to live. And you need to have a strategy to address these risks. Rule number two is about systematizing your cash flow allocation. A lot of people have heard of asset allocation. Yeah, that's important, but cash flow allocation is even more important in retirement. You have to organize your finances in a way that it feels just like the regular income that you were used to when you were working. Uh, That adds a lot of confidence and makes things a heck of a lot easier to manage. Uh, But to do this, you really have to ensure there's some balance between guaranteed income sources like a social security check or a pension or an annuity to cover the essential expenses, your, your standard of living, basically, the, the fundamental money that you need to live a, a good life. We have to balance it out with non-guaranteed income sources. And that's going to cover your additional discretionary expenses from sources that are usually market-based portfolios. But we also have to be able to coordinate everything. So it's simple, it's easy, it's intuitive. You understand what's coming in and why. Right, so we have to be able to we have to evaluate your portfolio's ability to produce cash flow. Mm-hmm. Rule number three: this is the one that people are usually less familiar with, and this is called maintaining true liquidity. And again, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, where you see a big pile of money, it looks like it's all available to you, but you have to be very, very careful. It's not really as liquid as it as it appears. So. When we have true liquidity, it makes it easier to engineer things like guaranteed income sources or uh, making sure that risks that you're taking to produce certain variable income, that those risks have time to pan out. So true liquidity is not relied on to produce present cash flow right this minute, but it's a critical component to the portfolio to address risks after a market decline. So I'll give you an example. It's the market suddenly tanks. It drops by 20%. And then you took a big withdrawal for retirement. You just made that loss larger in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. So when the market recovers, your entire portfolio is not going to recover with it because of how much money you had to pull out. Yeah. So having a true liquidity bucket is giving you the ability to hit the pause button and give your portfolio a chance to recover while you pull income from an alternate source. Mm -hmm. And we've done we have a lot of analytics and math on how this works, and it can make a massive difference in retirement. And then the fourth rule is to make every effort possible to minimize taxes in retirement and take advantage of tax efficiencies and different strategies that you can keep that money going to the government down to the lowest legal amount. Mm-hmm. All right. So it, it's, it's part art, part science, but, uh, but it's something that a lot of times it's, you know, that, that's an easy way to, uh, to deal with inflation easier is just to pay less in tax and be smart about using the tax code to your advantage. Yeah. So if you're following these rules, it's not that hard to form a balanced structure in retirement. 
And again, a lot of it begins with just engineering that, that true liquidity bucket. So it's there when needed. Having substantial liquidity, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it a lot easier to make choices with your cash flow. Right, and understanding how much did you have coming from guaranteed sources versus non-guaranteed sources? Have you covered all your risks? So, um, if you follow that process, it, it, it's not that difficult. It does take a little bit of time to understand all the components of the plan. Yeah, you know, I, I wish we could spend an hour with somebody and have all of this mapped out, and that's it. You're set. Enjoy the next thirty years of your life. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Most people to do this thoroughly, it's going to take probably you know I would say two to four conversations. I'd say probably more like three to four is probably probably more accurate. And, uh, and now you've got a, a great structure uh, that you understand. It's, it's visual. It's clear. And uh, you can't just ignore it. I mean, the world's always changing. It's evolving. So you have to have a plan that's, that's nimble, and you can adapt it and, uh, and take advantage of, of some of those changes that occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, Jim, structure is a good thing, right? These rules that you're talking about, um, it, it, it's hard for the average person to balance these types of rules just because it's, it's a lot to think about, but that's what you're for, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the things. And if you're, if you're living a, a lifestyle, like you said earlier, that maybe beyond your means or you're pulling an MC hammer and buying a gold toilet, maybe <laughs> they should be talking to somebody, right? But is that, is that the best use of your money? Is that really going to gain value or lose value as a toilet? I'm not sure. But anyway, um, <laughs> but Jim, when, when people think about this stuff and they're, they're listening to you, um, it, it's going to post questions in their mind. It always does for me. You know, we, we've only done a few podcasts, but you've given me a ton to think about. If they want to reach you and, and just reach out and say, hey, look, I'd love to talk to you about my specific situation, whether they're working with an advisor or not. I know you do, you know, you give a second opinion uh, to a lot of people uh, that, that call into you. How do they get a hold of you? What's the best way to get a hold of you and, and ask you those questions they have? Yeah, great question. I mean, a lot of this, like you mentioned, it, it's a second opinion. It's a, uh, a second set of eyes. And you know, we run a stress test and all these things. And best case scenario, it turns out your plan's absolutely perfect. There wasn't one single thing that you could do that was going to be an improvement. That's mm-hmm. fantastic, right? I haven't had that happen yet. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody has a monopoly on good ideas. Yeah. And, um, you know, but I, I think you owe it to yourself. You've spent all these years preparing for this moment. You know, why not be double sure that, that it's all going to work? So, I mean, getting a hold of us to have a conversation is pretty easy. You can just email us at info at mcgovernwealth.com. And just say, hey, listen to you on the podcast. We'd like to carve out some time and chat. And uh, we'll reach out and we'll coordinate a time to, to talk. So whether it's you know, 15, 20 minutes or we want to block out an hour, we want to hear what's on your mind and, and what you're concerned about and see how we can help. Perfect. All right, Jim, thank you so much for your time today, man. Thank you, Eric. You bet. And of course, our last thank you is for you, listening audience. We wouldn't be here without you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast with Jim McGovern. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Jim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And this makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family, and we'd love for you to do that so they can learn along with you. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at McGovern Wealth Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own.
By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America. Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number. 0F67329 AR Insurance License Number 7119103 California Insurance License Number 0F67329 Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103 Compliance Number 2022-137458 expires May 2024